0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Some people told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. He said to them in reply Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way? they were greater sinners than all other Galileans? By no means, but I tell you, if you do not repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 people who were killed when the tower at Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than everyone else who lived in Jerusalem? By no means. But I tell you, if you do not repent, you will all perish as they did. And he told them this parable. There once was a person who had a fig tree planted in his orchard. And when he came in search of fruit on it, but found none, he said to the gardener, For three years now, I have come in search of fruit on this fig tree, but have found none. So cut it down. Why should it exhaust the soil? He said to him in reply, Sir, leave it for this year also. And I shall cultivate the ground around it and fertilize it. It may bear fruit in the future. If not, you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. Tucked away in that discourse that we heard from St. Paul in his letter to the Romans is an interesting and very helpful statement. Consider for a moment what you think about regularly, what draws your attention regularly what preoccupies you on a regular basis. Not what you wish preoccupies you, but what in fact actually does occupy your attention, your thinking, your feelings. And notice what St. Paul says. The one surrendered to the spirit of the flesh is preoccupied with worldly things, and the person of the spirit is preoccupied with spiritual things. This isn't confession, so I'm not going to put anybody on the spot and say, which one are you? But what an interesting way of taking our spiritual temperature. What am I really focused on? What am I really preoccupied by? What is really occupying my time and my attention? And on any given day, if I'm honest with myself, I might not really like where my answer to that question is pointing. Am I really as spiritual as I like to think I am? Am I really as invested in my faith as I like to tell myself I am? Or am I perhaps more worldly, more given over to that which does not and cannot endure than I recognize? The worldly one is preoccupied by worldly things, and there are so many worldly things that occupy our attention, aren't there? Good things, bad things, indifferent things, but so much of this world that calls to us, that claims us, that says pay attention to me, whether it's that all too common experience that I finally have 10 or 15 minutes where I could sit down and pray, And I find that I don't know what to do with 10 or 15 minutes of quiet, because if I'm not distracted, I feel lost. Those times where I want to think about something important, and as soon as I begin, all these other worldly thoughts and feelings just intrude on me. And if I'm not careful, that time that was set aside for something more solid, simply disappears. Surrendered into nothing. The amount of time we lose in mere daydreams, in mere flights of fancy. You know, whether it's I camp out on the couch with the television on and think of nothing, or I simply sit and camp out with the television in my head on, and think of nothing. The worldly one loses himself in these things and doesn't even realize how lost he is, St. Paul says. And it's part of that tug of war within us that St. Paul spoke about yesterday. I want to do the good, but as soon as I decide, I find myself falling into the bad. I want to pray, but as soon as I sit down, my mind wanders and runs away. I want to grow spiritually, but there's so many other things I've got to get done first. Notice how subtle that is, how easy that is, because none of these things seem like they're bad. I've got to take care of this. I've got to return that phone call. I've got to do this, this, and this, and then I'll attend to spiritual matters. And what happens? There's always more of this to do. And so that moment to attend to what is really important never shows up. And on the one hand, I say I'm growing spiritually, but on the other hand, no, I'm really not. The worldly one is preoccupied by worldly things. St. Paul is not saying that I have to think only pious thoughts St. Paul is not saying that the believer never pays attention to the world around him. He's saying the believer doesn't get lost in those things, doesn't get dominated by those things. If we're honest with ourselves, how much of our lives is spent simply reacting to things? We're always responding. We're always reacting. And if we're not careful, life becomes reacting to one crisis, one problem, one feeling, one impulse after another. And we think we're free. But all we are are little puppets jerked around by impulses. Little puppets jerked around by what is happening around us. And we don't even realize it. This is why St. Paul, with this discussion on the Spirit, which he will now continue through this magnificent eighth chapter of his letter to the Romans, begins this way. We lose our real freedom, we give it away, in fact, without even knowing what's happening. And it's not because some militant, oppressive force is going to Take it away from us violently. Everything around us, this world around us, calls us, claims us, knocks us off center, and if we're not careful, we get trapped where all we're doing is reacting. All we're doing is responding. And yes, we advance in school, we advance in our careers, we accumulate possessions. That all happens, and it's the illusion. That life somehow is growing. But all it is, is the accumulation of things that do not last. And then we get preoccupied by holding on to them, don't we? You know, we spend so much time trying to get, and when we finally get it, we can't rest in it because we're worried about keeping it. Note how easily the worldly spirit just settles in and just masters us. The level of honesty in St. Paul's letters is absolutely breathtaking. And if we just pause and look at our own selves, we see how true it is. And so what happens? Materially, we live in a certain abundance perhaps. Or we live in a lack, but we're preoccupied with how do we get out of the lack. And spiritually, we've been given an abundance that we ignore, that we set aside, that we do not worry about preserving or holding on to. Because my eye doesn't see it. But St. Paul's saying within you, within me, There's already been an abundance given to us. Already been a treasure that we have received. And that spirit, we have within us more than merely a worldly spirit. We have within us as well the spirit of Jesus Christ. That spirit which overcomes the tendency toward death that also lives within us. That spirit, which is a fountain of freedom from the many things that weigh us down and hold us down, it's there. And over the next several days now, as we move into the coming week, St. Paul is going to talk about the importance of living in real freedom. Not false freedom. Not merely political freedom not freedom based on my impulses, but freedom that sets life truly, truly free. What a remarkable preoccupation that would be. And when we're preoccupied that way, then we know how to navigate the things of this world without being enslaved by them, without being dominated by them, without being controlled by them. St. Paul is not saying the believer doesn't have to work for a living, not saying the believer doesn't have to attend to the affairs of the house, but he is saying there's a slavish way, a way that is not free by which we engage those things, and that doesn't lead to life. It leads in the other direction, and then there is a free way of doing these things a freedom in which we can engage them, that allows us to navigate through them with the strength of the gospel and not be dominated by them. And when we put it that way, why wouldn't I want that second choice? And St. Paul simply observes, second choice has always been there. We just forget about it. We lose sight of it. We lose contact with it this in no small measure is what is lurking beneath the words of jesus as he tells this parable the way where first and this has happened for centuries something terrible happens and the immediate assumption is wow what wrong did they do that this happened to them We fall into that trap frequently. Something terrible happens in my life. How did I offend God that this happened to me? And note what Jesus is saying here. It's not that simple. Because we live in a world, a fallen, sin-afflicted world, where tragedy does happen. And the fact that it happens doesn't mean the person who's the victim is guilty of something. means we're all guilty. And this is the world we have. And so Jesus says, don't look at it with judgment on the other person. Look at the way these lives suddenly ended before those who were living them were ready. And then think about how fragile your life is. And if that were you, where would you end up? And if it's about getting what we deserve, well, think about that for a second, because if I got what I deserve, you'll be looking at a smoking pile of cinder right here. (laughs) Because that is what I deserve. And you don't deserve better. You know, so if God is about giving us what we deserve, if he's about a tit for the tat punishing of the guilty I couldn't even send you home because none of us would be here in the first place. And so Jesus is saying, open your eyes and see the sign the right way. That's not God saying these people were guilty and deserve to be punished. But it is a reminder of how brief life is and how little control we have over its length. And the truth that we don't like to think about, but we need to, that it comes to an end. And when it comes to an end, we don't get to decide simply for ourselves where we end up. Someone else makes that choice. And so this is where Jesus then tells the story about the fig tree. why do you plant a fruit tree? Because you want fruit from it. Very few people plant a fruit tree just because they want a tree and some shade. When we plant a fruit tree specifically as a fruit tree, we want its fruit. And so note the owner of the tree has an expectation. I planted this tree in my garden. I've cared for it and I expect that in time It will be fruitful. And when Jesus is saying that, he's looking at all of those to whom he has come to save and to call to life. And he's saying, understand that that's you. You've been given life. You've been planted in this world. And you've been given what you need to grow. Are you bearing fruit? You know, Jesus is very careful as he tells this parable. Note what he says. The owner says, and for three years I've been coming to this tree. How long was Jesus' public ministry? Three years. Oh, look at that. This is Jesus in year three saying, and the landowner has been doing this for three years, waiting for that fruit. And Jesus is looking at his disciples saying, and I've been talking to you guys now for three years. I've been preaching across the length and breadth of Israel for three years. And if it's about what you're showing me now, well, you know, the tree wasn't fruitful. And if it's about what the tree deserves, it should get cut down right now. But the gardener, the gardener says to the owner, no, 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 not yet. Let me work this tree a while longer. Let me do more for it. Notice what Jesus is saying to those who are hearing him. Let me work your heart a little more. Let me do a bit more for you. Let me take more time with you. He's speaking now about this dispensation of his mercy and his spirit. This sin-fallen world that doesn't deserve anything is given the gift of mercy. Because God doesn't want, the owner doesn't want to cut the tree down. He'd rather it be fruitful. The Lord doesn't want to punish the guilty, He wants the heart to change. That's what He wants. We're the ones who derive a certain satisfaction when somebody gets punished, don't we? Socially, in our families, just in the attitude is, I hope they get what they deserve. And when we see it, we're happy. God is the opposite. He doesn't wanna give us what we deserve. He wants us to give him the opportunity to give us something better, something more, something greater. God doesn't take any joy in cutting the tree down, but he delights when that tree is fruitful. God doesn't delight in punishing the unjust. He doesn't enjoy that because he didn't create us to be punished. He created us for life and that's what delights him. And so he delights in the conversion of heart, the change of heart that movement that allows us to move from not being fruitful to beginning to bear fruit, to bearing fruit in greater abundance. On the one hand, the example Jesus gives has a chilling note to it, but note how beautiful it is underneath. What I really want is not for that to happen. What I really want is for you to be fruitful. What I really want is not your punishment, but your life. What I really want is your happiness and your goodness. That's what I want. He's already planted us in his church. He's already watered us by the sacrament of baptism. He sustains us in this great sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. He's given us the benefit of his word. He's brought us together as his people. Look at how much he's done. Of course he expects us to be fruitful. And when we're not, look at how wonderful he is to give us tomorrow. The Lord reminds us, tomorrow runs out for everybody. But we have it. And so the Lord says, Today's your chance. Today's your chance. Today's your chance to move from death to life, slavery to freedom, unhappiness to joy. And I want you to make that movement. And I will give you everything to help you make that movement. And that's what happens in just a couple minutes. We come forward and stretch out our hands to him. Jesus doesn't just help us with some kind of abstract grace. Jesus isn't content to give us some vague blessing. Jesus gives us himself. Note how much he wants us to succeed. Note how much he wants our happiness. Note how much He wants us to be truly free. So much that he will not give us anything less than himself. What a marvelous gift. What a great treasure we receive here. So that we can go forward and be fruitful, not just with our own private fruitfulness, but with his. And what a great gift that is. Amen. Thank you.